0: Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the one hundred and twenty six unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew.
1: Bonjour.
2: And my Mm.
0: husband Dylan's the sound recordist.
1: Bonjour.
2: Sounded more French. Mm.
0: Oh. Dylan called me the other day. Um, we'll get to, to this, but we're not in the same place right now to FaceTime our child and explain the concept of different languages. And she wanted oh. you to speak in Italian. And then she had me speaking in French. Is that it? What, what was the story, Dylan?
2: She was having me read a children's book that we have that's in Italian. And I had to explain to her that it's like, I'm speaking gibberish for a reason. And so she <laughs> then found out what different languages are. It's like, uh, we also have some books in French, but I don't read French. You know who does?
3: The bales.
1: May I just take this moment to say you're welcome for opening Maggie's horizons with the Italian Peppa Pig book. Hey,
0: you. It's a Peppa Pig. Uh, Speaking of, you said um, last night that you asked Maggie how many books she wanted before bedtime, and she said all. Yeah. (laughs) Oh wow. So I think she might be my daughter.
3: Yeah. All books.
0: Well, that was a little happy intro because we're about to get. A little sad for a second. Andrew and I have been in Maine for a while because our father sadly passed away and we were with him at the end and it was a long time coming and I don't know. I just feel like we have to say that because today's Sunday and that was Wednesday and I just feel like my brain isn't all the way there. I'm feeling okay, but like, you know, just a shout out to anybody out there that may be going through grief, processing anything, you know, we're people too and that's where we're at. But you know what never ends? books um
1: all books
0: (laughs) andrew is there anything you want to say
1: yeah so i mean same goes for me in pejos in terms of my brain isn't all the way there Uh, i'm really excited to actually be recording because it feels like a little slice of normal and it's good to you know get everybody on a phone call together but yeah if we uh seem a little off today uh
3: (laughs) there are reasons
0: this is all to give excuses for when we lose the game that's why
3: yeah man I better win the game today. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> if I can't capitalize on this advantage, I don't know when I'm going to be able to win.
0: How about you, Toby? Any deaths in the family this week?
3: No. <laughs> but I um, I do have some shame.
0: Ooh, I would oh, love to hear good. about shame.
3: Yeah, this is yes. this is what we need right now. We need to hear about Here we go. good
1: old fashioned homie shame.
0: Yeah.
3: Yes. Well, my shame is linked to uh, what me and my wife do in bed together. <gasps> um, which is. Um, I'm so sorry. We,
1: I'm so sorry. This
3: is a family podcast We I'm so sorry. No.
0: My, my phone is going out.
3: <laughs> no, we have been reading to each other. Louise got me a bunch of books for Christmas, and among them is this hilarious classic fantasy cover called Sorcerer's Legacy by Jenny Wirtz. And uh, it, is, it has been quite the read. We've been trading off, reading to each other. And uh, my shame is that we bought a new one. We finally finished. We finished Andy Wertz. We got the book Assassin's Apprentice by Robin Hobb, which is a big deal fantasy book. It's book number one of the Farseer trilogy. And that's my shame. So we're going to read that one together.
0: How, describe more about how you read to each other. Like you switch off chapter by chapter. Does the other person just stare or, or is the other person like allowed to fall asleep to the, to the sound of the voice? Uh,
3: there's a, there was a lot of sleeping done in this book. Um, we just trade off when we felt like it. So I think mo- both of us ended up missing about a quarter of the book. Um, we're gonna have to rethink that strategy um, in, our, in our next book. But really it's all about ridiculous voices, like how, how hard can you commit to giving a character a ridiculous voice and then you can you remember to do that voice for the next seven hours?
2: Do you do it like a normal mm-hmm. audiobook, like you're doing dishes and stuff while Louise is following you around the house? <laughs> that would be great.
3: That's the next. That's the next level. Yeah.
2: Do you ever read at 1.5 speed just to get through it? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Come on. Come on, Louise. Up it up. We tried to start the new book last night, but we were both pretty tired. And it's like the classic fantasy book starting out, where it's like the world had had farseers for as long as time, and the farseers were split up into three tribes. Each tribe had a sub tribe, and we're like, no, too tired. <laughs> <laughs> too tired to know this that's that's my shame assassin's apprentice
0: i think that's very sweet toby i i hate reading out loud i don't even like reading really? kids books out loud i'm not very good Sorry, at it maggie. i've gotten a little better as i read more with maggie and i become familiar with the books but like my nightmare would be like auditioning for a play and have to do a cold reading like just to read right from the page but like once mm. i can memorize it it's fine
2: would your nightmare Be having to read quotes from books on a podcast that's recorded? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, you're pretty good
0: at that. No, no, I always have to edit (laughs) myself when I read quotes. Andrew, do you like reading out loud? I
1: like reading out loud, okay. I used to have more of a performative streak to me, and I liked that part of it. That sort of faded in my dotage, but <laughs> I I like it okay. I don't mind cold reading, and I
3: never did when I was still acting. I guess mm. I'm the
0: weirdo, but like, you know, if we were to do popcorn reading in school, stressful.
3: No, that's stress. I understand. Popcorn reading was a nightmare, even for someone who liked to read, because you, you never know. It's like the yeah. whole class is playing Russian roulette at once.
0: And just to be clear, for those who don't know, because I didn't know this until I was teaching, popcorn reading is when you're reading a passage and then you're gonna throw it to someone else to continue reading, but they don't know when. And all of a sudden you just feel like you're you're done reading. And then you go, Popcorn, Toby, and Toby has to take yeah, over it, in that moment.
3: It's as if a piece of popped corn has leapt out of Bailey's sizzling hot fingers into my mouth. Okay. Okay. We really
1: can't spoil my new fantasy novel about the popcorn throwers (laughs) of Cordova. The
2: popcorns (laughs) apprentice.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Oroville.
2: That's how we should review <laughs> The Husband's Secret is we should just be reviewing and then say, Popcorn Toby, what's your opinion?
0: Actually, I don't mind that.
3: Yeah. And I'll be able to do it because I've read that freaking book. Because I've read
2: it too.
0: Oh, good. I don't have a ton of opinions on it, so we can definitely do that. But that's jumping ahead. Firstly, I, Andrew, I have to give you some time. Have you read any books that, you know, you need to put on record as, as your secret bonus?
1: I mean, things have happened <laughs> in the last couple weeks. Um, <laughs> what has possibly happened? Down. <laughs> but I do. I did read Ruin and Rising, the third book in the Shadow and Bone series. I liked it. And I just started My Sister the Serial Killer, which uh, Bailey covered on the podcast a while ago. And I'm excited to get through that. And I'm I'm reading that on audio. And I just started the physical copy of Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. So Mm. I got a lot going on, but I'm moving a little slower than the past. Still... I
3: think a very healthy twelve books ahead of schedule. Wowzers!
0: I am now one books. book behind schedule. Like deep shame. Oh, I know.
3: I'm going to reel back on my instinct to gloat, given what's happened in your life recently. But I am, <laughs> I am uh, five books ahead of schedule. So that's um. Ooh. That's what's that going That is on quite me.
1: the turnaround, Toby. <laughs> yeah,
3: I'm okay, gonna, well, thank I'm you. I'm going
0: to say something that's going to make you feel real bad, Toby, which is that Uh-oh. I was really into the book I'm reading, which is The Last Graduate, it's the second in the Scholomance, and I was really into it, and then all of a sudden, you know, I had to jump on a red eye and go to the ICU, and since then, I brought it to the ICU every day, and then the hospice, and for some reason, I can't concentrate on that book. I don't know why.
3: Goodreads cares not for the health of your family. It will not forgive you with this greeting goal.
0: Ah, uh, too true. I did watch all of The Mole on Netflix, so oh. <laughs> I, have that. I have that going for me, which is nice.
3: <laughs> well, speaking of fun and
1: diverting things like The Mole on Netflix, Toby, <laughs> I heard that you took a leisurely
3: walk through the Appalachians. No, I didn't, Andrew. You should know this about me. It was Bill Bryson who did that in his book, oh, A Walk Boy. in the Woods.
0: Oh, I always oh. mix you two up.
3: I know, yeah, I... <laughs> I wish I was Bill Bryson. No, I don't, actually. Do you wish you were Robert Redford in the movie version of Walk in the Woods? Yes. I'd be very handsome. Here's my little logline. A Walk in the Woods is Bill Bryson's chronicle of his attempt in the summer of 1996, parentheses, coincidentally the release year of Infinite Jest, and there might be some crossover there. Close brackets. (laughs) <laughs> Toby,
2: you can't use every. Ex- shush, are you going to do this stuff for every review that
3: you're going to bring, to a hike, bring to, it
2: as to an hike, excuse about how you h- read Infinite Chest?
1: <laughs> yes, when I read The Waves by Virginia Woolf, which was published <laughs> 70 years before Infinite Chest, the, hus-
0: the Husband's Secrets. Reminds there me of Le
3: <laughs> There is crossover. Okay, close brackets. To hike the Appalachian Trail, an infamously long and difficult hiking trail that stretches between Georgia and Maine and claims to be the longest hiking-only footpath in the world with a total distance of 2,198 miles.
2: You know what's infinitely long and challenging?
3: Infinite, yes.
0: Infinite, yes.
3: <laughs> so, Toby, I'm dying to know
1: if you'd walk 1,000 miles or if you'd walk 1,000 more. Uh, I would walk 500
3: miles. Sorry, that's about uh, it. Trying to get it to the Im- length of the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, I've read several Bill Bryson books before this, um, and I have thoroughly enjoyed them. Among his successful books are A Short History of Nearly Everything, which is an attempt at a brief history of the entire world, At Home, his exploration of every room in a house and the history behind each one of them, and One Summer, America 1927, in which he examines the very, very eventful summer in which, among other things, Babe Ruth broke the home run record and the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped. Have you guys had read any Bryson yourself? Helps.
0: I have read A Walk in the Woods and End oh. of List.
2: Oh, I've, I haven't read A Walk in the Woods, but I've read um, mm. At Home and uh, Summer of 1927.
1: I was waiting to hear your recommendation, Tobe, because I, uh, I, I have a uh, short history of
3: nearly everything downloaded. Mm-hmm. Those books are good. Those books are pretty dang good. Um, short, oh, wow. short history of nearly everything can get a little dry because he's really moving through a lot of content. I would say my favorite out of those three is One Summer, America 1927. Dylan, you liked that one, right? Yes, although that does also get very dry. I mean, that's a good point, though, because in these books, Bill Bryson is certainly present. Personality is kind of the thing that's presenting you all these facts. But he's kind of in the background. He's witty and he's dry and he's he's like your knowledgeable, friendly, nerdy uncle. Mostly these these other books focus on the prodigious amount of research that he does and his voice just kind of frames things. I read all these books and I came to the conclusion that Bill Bryson was just a really nice guy. Then I started (laughs) a walk in the woods Oh no! and realized immediately that this would be a book where Bryson put himself much more front and center. Right from the beginning, he casts himself as a totally unlikely hiker. He doesn't really like to hike. He doesn't have any real equipment or preparation. He chooses apparently at random a hiking companion who he hates this old... Friend, frenemy of his, Stephen Katz, a recently sober man, who's Bryson spends a lot of time describing as stupid, overweight, and generally abrasive. So these are the these are the kind of preparations he makes to go on a two thousand mile hike.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't that make for an interesting book? Like if he was like, oh, I'm so prepared, nobody would want to read that book.
3: How many feet of nerd's rope did he pack? <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of like making fun of what Katz packed, and like Katz is constantly emptying his backpack and throwing things into the woods, so that's fun. To read about him just like hurling trash into the woods. Happens a lot. Bailey mentioned it like that's supposed to be the funny thing is like, oh, he's such an unlikely person to do the hike. And I was like, OK, it's supposed to be. That's the joke. But the humor just never landed for me. And it landed less and less the further I got in the book. Bryson really does not let up on cats who seems more and more pathetic as the book goes on. And Bryson kind of seems like he's kicking the guy when he's down. Like this guy made a mistake to go on this hike and he's really suffering and Bryson is just kicking him and kicking him over and over. Very quickly, I found myself wishing Bryson would tell cats to go home or be kinder to him. Um, But he seemed to enjoy keeping him along and abusing him instead. Bailey do you remember thinking that
0: because it makes for a good book
3: (laughs) oh looks like Bailey
1: loves this all right so it sounds like Bailey enjoys making fun of her friends no what I'm
0: saying is I feel like Bill Bryson was definitely a hundred percent like I'm gonna write a book about this but I need somebody else on me on the trip with me okay this Mm -hmm. guy he's not allowed to leave
3: We also get uh, Bryson's perspective about other hikers on the trail, most of whom Bryson has a sarcastic or judgmental thing to say about them. There is the annoying woman who follows them for a week. There are people who use any kind of technology, especially satellite phones. And there are rangers who Bryson calls out for mismanaging the various parks they travel through. And there are the tourists in Gatlingburg, Tennessee, who Bryson delights in lampooning. It keeps building and building. His attitude toward them is that he's like Mark Twain, right? Like he's just this observer and he is writing down these kind of wry witticisms. But it just, to my ears, it just got nastier and nastier until the part where Bryson called a waitress at a restaurant he didn't like a slut. So reading this book is more like, at least for me, it's like, what if you had a friendly, nerdy uncle and then you turned 16 and he snuck you into a bar and got hammered and revealed all sorts of nasty stuff about himself?
0: (laughs) Happens to all of us.
3: Do I think that Bryson is really this bad? I hope not. I think he's playing it up for this book. It's a tone that he chose that I really didn't enjoy. I will tie it to Infinite Jest and you can laugh. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But (laughs) here's the thing. Infinite Jest came out in 96. This book was researched in 96. These are two men who would consider themselves like liberal, white guys with a college education. Like they are guys who can think of themselves as nice guys. But some of the observations that Foster Wallace comes out with and some of the observations that Bryson comes out with to the modern eye just look unnecessarily mean. And from this perspective where you're like, dude, why are you so sure that, you know, like you're the commentator for the world?
1: Oh man, Toby made a good point when we were making fun
3: of him. (laughs) So, no, I didn't really enjoy this book. It was a slog. And spoiler alert, these two unprepared middle-aged guys do not even come close to finishing the trail. Um, And in fact, the last third of the book is mostly day hikes that Bryson goes on. So you're just learning about his day hike habit. What a letdown. Two stars.
0: Do you think, okay.
3: Oh, Bailey's going to come out swinging for Bryson.
0: First of all, I will say the caveat that I enjoyed this book when I read it. It must have been like 2007. So I have very little memory of the book besides the concept and that there was a funny guy with him who was so unprepared. But my question is, Toby, if you had read this before you read other you know, nonfiction Bill Bryson's, what were you expecting that you didn't get?
3: To sort of answer your question, if I had read this book first, I wouldn't have continued to read on his other books. <laughs> Um, I like the Bill Bryson that I meet through his other books and I expected someone just a little bit more gentle and less mean. So I I didn't, I didn't get a nice person and I was led to expect a nice person from his other books.
0: Okay. Okay. Fair.
3: One summer is really good. That's a Really good book. I
0: think he has one about Shakespeare. Probably. Speaking of, Andrew, do you have any facts on Bill Bryson? Maybe you know how many books he's written. Speaking of William
3: Shakespeare, the quality of the facts I'm
1: going to give you will live down (laughs) across the centuries. Yes, I do have facts about Bill Bryson. Yay. William McGuire Bryson, OBE on FRS, and we'll get into that, was born on December 8th, 1951 in Des Moines, Iowa.
0: You can be an OBE if you're American. (laughs)
1: Oh, will we get into it? Maybe we will. Okay. (laughs) His father, Bill, and his mother, Agnes, were both writers for the Des Moines Register, a newspaper. And if you're particularly interested in his early years, he has chronicled them in a sort of humorous memoir called The Life and Times of the Thunderbolt Kid, which was published in 2006. He didn't go far for college. He attended Drake University, which is in his hometown, but left after only two years to backpack across Europe. He stayed for four months, but then returned the following year with his friend, Matt Angerer, who appeared in a walk in the woods under the pseudonym Stephen Katz.
3: He's like, he's like, I did this hike with this guy back in the day and I didn't like him then and I don't like him now. So let's do it again. (laughs) I wonder how Matt
1: Angerer feels about this. And this trip sort of started his love affair with, you know, the other side of the pond and Britain in particular. In fact, during the second trip, he got a job at a psychiatric hospital in Surrey uh, and Bryson decided to stay on in England. Uh, So he had a job. Hmm. He's like, I'm not leaving. and there, at that hospital, he went on to meet his future wife, a nurse named Cynthia Billen, who while working there, and they are still married to this day. Lovely. Good job. So, good job, Bill. The seeds are planted. He decided he wanted to live in England. He marries a British woman. I didn't get my OBE for marrying a British woman. Well, <laughs> maybe you should not live in California then.
3: No, good point.
1: He and Cynthia briefly returned to Des Moines to finish out his degree, uh, but returned to England shortly. Once they were settled back in old Blighty, Bill began work as a journalist, first on the South Coast in Bournemouth for the Bournemouth Evening Echo, before going national, going big time, at The Times and later The Independent. He wrote regular columns in addition to working as an editor, and some of this work would be collected into some of his later books. He sort of had his first breakthrough as, like, a standalone writer of, of published books in 1995 for Notes from a Small Island, which explores Britain and um, was made into an accompanying television series hmm. and received a lot of acclaim for its accuracy of, of, of like how it encapsulated Britain at the time.
0: It was just weird because the dedication said to the queen, OBE please <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was weird that it said that though in 2003 it was like they said this book most explains the British identity oh okay hey good job Bill I guess you really cool. nailed it um, wow. like every young Brit I was born in Des Moines Iowa <laughs> um, <laughs> during this time he also sort of shuttled back and forth and spent significant time in the states while still working for the British newspapers he wrote a column like about revisiting America after living in England for a while which ended up yielding the book I'm a stranger here myself though that is something times titled notes from a big country also during that time 1996 rolled around and he walked tried to walk the appalachian trail and in 1998 published a walk in the woods Yep. 2003 brought perhaps his biggest success and it was when notes from a small island was it received that distinction about being a great british book and also it was when he published his widely regarded a short history of nearly everything which is a 500 page work of popular science which uh at least wikipedia claims one prominent scientist said is quote annoyingly free of mistake (laughs) Though Bryson apparently has identified and listed some of his own mistakes online. So you were mistaken thinking there were no mistakes, punk. (laughs) 2003 was also when he was appointed a commissioner for English Heritage, which is only one of uh, many, many, many awards that Bryson has received in his time at this point, which include receiving the key to the city of Des Moines, more honorary doctorates than I think one person generally needs, mm-hmm. an OBE, and being an honorary fellow of the Royal Society, and apparently he's the first non-Briton to receive this specific honor.
0: Do you think he threw the key to the city of Des Moines in the English Channel and said, I'm British now?
1: Yep, <laughs> he said it just like that, and everyone loved it. Mm-hmm. Please look up the rest of his awards on your own, because it seems like he's gotten all of the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from 2005 to 2011, Bryson was the chancellor of Durham University. If you can guess who he succeeded in this position, I will give you $1,000. Joyce Carol um, Oates. Okay, we um, have a Joyce Carol Oates. Um Ian um, McKellen. No, the uh, no, guy You already had your guess. Oh, Tom Brady.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to think of like um, another Eric Larson.
1: Don
0: DeLillo. <laughs>
1: no, Sir Peter Ustinov.
0: What?
3: What? I don't know who that is. He's an an
1: actor and and famous raconteur. Um, Is that why you would have given
3: us a lot of money? Because no one knows who that person is. I recognize (laughs) the name at the very least.
2: I barely know what a raconteur Mm. is.
1: Well,
3: (laughs) then you haven't been living life right, Dylan. His
1: chancellorship of Durham University was marked with him being more involved in student life than than is typical of the post. Such as he was like he was the cool chancellor and appeared in student films and like worked locally on city improvement projects. Specifically, he like started something about cleaning up Litter, maybe as to atone for making jokes about it with Stephen Katz in, in his 1998 mm. book. And outside of his chancellorship, he's dedicated a lot of his energy to environmental work and environmental charities. That's something he's very passionate about. In 2015, he officially took the plunge and became a British citizen. He holds dual citizenship now. Mm. And still lives in England with his wife, though he had taken a lot of like temporary posts back in the state, it seems. He lived for a few years in Hanover, New Hampshire, for example, Appalachian Trail. <laughs> um (laughs) slash bailey and that's sort of the broad strokes one weird fact that came up in 2012 he sued his agent saying they quote failed to perform some of the most fundamental duties of an agent which is a fascinating mystery however it was settled out of court (laughs) and one of the conditions is it can't be discussed so we'll never know what happened there yeah what does that even mean well i know that's why i included the fact what does it mean Here's the thing. Bill Bryson is all about getting paid. Yeah, he's all about the Benjamins.
2: <laughs> he doesn't take a step on the Appalachian Trail before he gets his check. <laughs>
1: uh, last thing on Bryson. Uh, Bryson announced in October 2020 that he had retired from writing books, but he still oh. does the odd small project, including a project for Audible that recently came out on the history of Christmas. Nice. He has four children and lives in rural Hampshire, England, with his wife. Though they also split time between there and London. Lovely.
0: I give him like two years before he writes another book.
1: (laughs) I bet he will. And that's what I have on Bill Bryson. He seems like an interesting guy. I'd like to check out some of his work, but I'm not going to start with this one, Toby, to make you happy.
3: Yay.
0: Good facts, Andrew and... Sorry, Bill Bryson. I liked the book. Toby's a Hater.
3: <laughs> it seems that way, doesn't it?
0: A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. Two stars.
3: Too, Two, two,
1: two. Well, let's see, Bailey. Any way we mm-hmm. can turn this around by you telling us a little secret? Shh.
0: Shh. Don't tell anybody. Shh. shh. I have a secret. Shh. I read a book this week.
3: Oh. <gasps> well, it's uh-oh.
0: called The Husband's Secret by Leanne Moriarty. The <laughs>
3: dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Husband's Secret.
1: Mr. Holmes.
0: Ooh. <laughs> so it sounds like both Dylan and Toby read it too this week. Is that right?
1: Yes.
2: That, that's my secret. I read every one of them.
1: <laughs> I did not read it. So I'm going to sit back and let the chaos unfold. <laughs> mm.
0: Well, okay. I'll let you husbands jump in, but I'll just start off a little bit. So this book, um, Leanne Moriarty, you might know her from um, writing several books that are white and have like flowers on the cover. <laughs> Um, including
3: Oh, careful You're, you're yeah. talking about her Colleen Hoover
0: Oh, yeah well, Anyway, um, she wrote the book Big Little Lies Which the show was based on And in many ways mm-hmm. I think the concept is similar Because it follows The book follows three women And talks about How one event in the past Sort of connects them all And how that happens in the twisty-turny ways That happens So our main character Is Cecilia The title of the book Refers to Popcorn Toby
3: The title of the book re- Refers to Cecilia Cecilia's Husband's Secret. Popcorn Dylan. (laughs) Uh, Wait, do you say Cecilia's Secret? No, Cecilia's Husband's Secret. Yes.
0: Did you guys read the book? Popcorn Back to Me.
3: Oh, no. Popcorn (laughs) Back to Me. So, Cecilia is like this perfect mom and like has kids and she's really good at being a mom and her life is just cruising along and then she discovers an envelope up in the attic that says, uh, it's addressed to her in her husband's handwriting and it says to be opened upon my death.
1: Popcorn Andrew. Cecilia is breaking my heart and shaking my confidence
3: daily.
0: Yeah.
1: Popcorn
3: Toby (laughs) to finish his thought. Uh Uh-huh. And then um
0: (laughs) Then popcorn back to me.
3: Popcorn back to Bailey. Popcorn back to Bailey.
0: Thank you, thank you. Okay. So I'll stop the popcorning for a bit. So Cecilia is our main character. Uh, Obviously, she finds this letter years before her husband has died. And I would say the first half of the book is, is she going to read this letter or not? uh Because as soon as she mentions it to her husband, he does not laugh it off. He, he rushes shady. home to Australia from um, visiting the States and is kind of like, so did you read that letter? He really does not want her to read it, which of course makes her want to read it more. Would I read the letter? Yes, I would. Dylan, if you do oh that, God, I a will read the <laughs> letter. <laughs>
3: Immediately. <laughs> Uh, I I will say it is like, that is a good idea. Like the story starts out and I was like, I'm on board, man. This is a good idea. It's a little bit of a moral quandary. I I don't think I had an immediate reaction. I was like, maybe I wouldn't open it. You know, you don't, maybe you don't want to know what's in there.
0: I agree. I think that's one of the strongest elves of the book is just this concept Mm -hmm. because you wonder, would I read it? What would I do? And of course you Mm -hmm. wonder, well, what is the secret? Because inevitably you're going to find out what the secret is at some point.
3: Uh, We're not going to tell you what the secret is, but oh boy. It's it's a doozy. <laughs> when and she just reveals a, that secret.
2: She does a real good job at teasing too, where it's like, and then I read it slowly, sentence by sentence, starting with words such as "next chapter."
0: God, <laughs> <laughs> and she switches between perspectives. So we talked about Cecilia. Then mm-hmm. there are two other women. Um, there's Rachel, who is an older woman. She's a secretary at the local elementary school, and she is dealing with grief um, residual from years ago, from when her teen daughter was murdered. We switched to her perspective and we also switched the perspective of Tess, who is um, back in the city, which is her hometown, after her husband has declared that he and her cousin slash best friend are in love <laughs> and are going to be together. So yeah. You know, he keeps switching back and forth, chapter to chapter, so it drags out the letter even more. And I don't know about you guys, but it took me a really long time to get these characters straight. um, Because I I was like, who's this again? Who's this again? Yeah. Popcorn Toby. How did you feel about that?
3: (laughs) Yeah. I, popcorn me. I, um, I felt like it was confusing. They were similar, but then you kind of settled into it. And to be honest, uh, the first half, maybe more than half this book, I was on board. I really enjoyed it. I was like, these are clear problems, well presented. The characterization is strong. And I was like, this is a fun ride. Popcorn Dylan.
2: I literally had the same problem where they list a bunch of, Cynthia goes through all her friends in her mind and they list a bunch of names. Oh, yeah. And then it's like, and now we're keeping track of Tess and Rachel. It's like, wait, I have to go back. Was that one of the names? Am I supposed to know who this is?
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Popcorn back to me. So I agree. The, the first I imagine half of-
3: this is this is how Bailey behaved in like high school too. <laughs> like someone else is reading and she's like popcorn back to me.
0: <laughs> I agree. The first half of the book, I feel is much better than the second half. I think mm-hmm. there's so much lead up to what the secret is. And in my opinion, first of all, I could predict what the secret was. Second of all, the secret To me, there's not enough fallout from it. Like, Although the rest of the book has to do with the secret, Mm -hmm. I don't think Cecilia reacts in the appropriate way to learning the secret. Like, She doesn't (laughs) react as strongly as I would. She doesn't do things like the way I would or the way I think most people would. It all kind of comes together sort of in the same way that uh, Big Little Lies does. And you Mm -hmm. see sort of how things have been planted and why they're planted that way, why these three women need to know all of their stories. But then in the end there's this epilogue that I felt was kind of a cop out oh. for the entire entire story. Yeah.
3: I'm so glad you said that the epilogue was terrible. I was it like, was Why like, did you
0: do this? I know. <laughs> It was like, maybe you thought that the secret was bad, but really it wasn't that bad because XYZ was going on that you didn't know about.
3: Yeah, I, I seriously was, I wondered, popcorn me. Um, yeah. I, wondered, <laughs> um, I wondered if her publisher made her put that in there because it undercuts everything, like the seriousness of everything. It presents like an alternate history. Like, yes. oh, it's okay. Cause it could have worked out this way. And it's like, if you're an author, why would you do that? It, like cuts out all the stakes of the whole book. It's bizarre. Popcorn back to Bailey. Sorry about that.
0: No, I totally agree. Undercutting is exactly the word for it. Mm-hmm. Also, I felt like there's this character Connor who I felt like was totally abandoned at the end of the book. I thought he was a really good character, and then he didn't. Not much happened with him. Um, and you know, all of the women just kind of in my opinion kind of went back to one at the end when it's like (laughs) but not in a sad way just like in a normal way and I found that disappointing my overall review of this book is that it's not as good as Big Little Lies Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily absolutely hate it I think like like Toby said there's some good writing in there good characterization good mystery but it felt like an early novel by this writer and I would want to maybe read something that she writes down the line versus this Mm -hmm. if I found it in like a hotel I was staying in and wanted to read it on the beach maybe sure but mm. overall i'm giving it 2 stars i thought it could be a 3 Ooh. but then i thought oh i forgot sorry i forgot the biggest orc which is that the book Popcorn is Popcorn ex-
3: Bailey's orc <laughs>
1: Sorry, that was Bailey's orc Popcorn Bailey.
0: (laughs) The book is extremely fat phobic. Um, Speaking of, basically, there's one character who loses weight and now is worthy of love. And that's upsetting. Um, So here's just one quote. It was as though she thought that Felicity's fatness cushioned her feelings, as though she believed Felicity must surely... No, and except no ordinary man could really love her. So, just the idea of fat cushioning your feelings, all this discussion of how heinously horrible she was, freakish for being overweight. Ugh. So that brought it down from a three to a two for me. Popcorn, yeah. Dylan, what did you think? Oh no, I liked the book.
3: Oh, Dylan loved it. <gasps> yeah, I liked
0: the book. Okay, uh, yeah,
3: I liked it because Be- because of the fat phobia.
2: Yeah, I just really like fat phobic books, you know. <laughs> But because a lot of the fat phobic came from Tess, who was kind of dealing with her own stuff. And I just liked how a lot of the characters were flawed in a realistic, interesting way. Because you're so used to Mm -hmm. like, the flaw is she cares like too much or the flaw is like, you know, oh, they're self-centered or this. But it's like all these characters were just really messy in really believable ways. Mm -hmm. That when the secret was revealed, I had the same reaction where it's like, I would not react like this. And then I realized like, they did have a lot of run up to how Cecilia lives her life. I thought she did a good job describing like shock and like, do you do uh-huh. the right thing kind of
0: thing? Interrupting popcorn. That's all true. But wouldn't you think she was shocked? Yes, she's deciding what to do going forward, but she has no like impulse to divorce this man. And I'm like, <laughs>
2: uh... yeah, I hate these people. But that's the point that they are terrible people. Yeah. But in, if you would want them to be very like clean cut monsters or it's like, this is how they are bad blah, But it's like, no, they're just weak. And Dylan, yes? Dylan,
0: if I found out that secret about you, I'd divorce you immediately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh no,
2: because you're a good person. <laughs> I have no doubt. I would divorce you in a heartbeat. If anybody tried to do the stuff that they do to each other, 90% of the people you know would not react that way. But the book's about the 10% of the people that have insecurities that do
3: act like this.
2: I was gonna give it four stars and then the epilogue kind of turned me off a little bit that
3: I gave it three, but I did really like okay. some of the relationships. Well, popcorn me, I feel somewhere, I think I'm in the middle of Bailey and Dylan. I don't think I liked it as much as Dylan. I did like the characterization, but there were some key moments throughout the book. And I think you'll hear them in Dylan's like bumping up against them where things happened, not because they were totally logical or even believable because of the characters, but because the book needed to happen that way. And there's especially toward the end, there's like two or three things where it's like, okay, you're not even selling me on this character doing this in a realistic way. It's just like the most shocking thing that can happen or the most dramatic way this could shake out. So yeah, I give it a solid three stars. Okay, Popcorn Andrew,
1: I compare you to a kiss from a rose on the (laughs) grave. Popcorn
3: Bailey.
0: Andrew, do you just really want to know what the secret is?
1: I do. I do, but... I don't feel like it's right to tell our listeners.
0: Okay, we'll tell you later. Okay. Uh, But do you have any, Popcorn Andrew, do you have any facts on Miss Leanne Moriarty? Yes,
1: Mr. Holmes. What's her secret? I do. (laughs) Sorry, that's the second time I made that joke. Anywho, yes, I have some facts on Leanne Moriarty. Would you like to hear them,
3: Mm, coworkers? Yes. Yes, please.
0: I want to know if it's her real name or a nom de plume.
3: Oh, that sounds like a nom de plume to me. Ah, Leanne Moriarty
1: was born Leanne Moriarty in Sydney, New South
0: Wales on November 15th,
1: 1966. Moriarty is
3: a real last name.
1: You guys know that, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah, but it just so perfectly fits like even the kind of book she writes. It's like, yeah, good job, Leanne Moriarty's parents.
2: Maybe she writes those kind of books because her name's Moriarty. Did you think about that?
1: Yeah. Mm, Nominative determinism. I have very little information on her childhood, other than that her sister is the young adult author Jacqueline Moriarty, and she has a total of four sisters and one brother. One of the other sisters, I think Nicola, is also a writer, wow. but I have less information on
2: her. Nicola Moriarty does sound like a made-up evil villain name.
1: <laughs> yeah, <it> does. <laughs> Initially, Moriarty worked in advertising and marketing. She worked as a freelance copywriter while working on her first novel and eventually attended Macquarie University to earn her master's, apologies if I've butchered the pronunciation of that uni- University. part of uh, her work during that program was finishing a novel um, which became her first novel three wishes and was published in 2004 to date she has published nine novels including big little lies in 2014 which was adapted by hbo with a star-studded cast and yeah. nine perfect strangers in 2018 also adapted this time by hulu with all the dang stars
2: and heads up this husband's secret is also going to be a show
1: or a movie why don't you let me
3: say the next sentence okay, in my... that? <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, you didn't even popcorn him, man. It's too late. You can't popcorn him after the fact. Um,
1: (laughs) The Husband's Secret is her fifth novel, and as of 2022, was being produced by Sony Pictures. It has a director attached, which was the big announcement last year. Blake Lively, I believe, is attached right now. In addition to the nine novels, she's also published three children's books known as the Space Brigade series. Moriarty lives in Sydney with her husband, Adam. Adam was apparently a farmer in Tasmania before meeting Moriarty, so that's cool. That's the only t- bit of information I have on him. They have two children. Her most recent novel came out in 2021, and it was titled Apples Never Fall. The rest of what I have here, because there's sort of limited information on Moriarty, is from uh, an interview with Anna Roines from AuthorLink. Uh, Pejos, uh, feel free to look up this interview yourself. Uh, however, the, it's sort of a long-form interview with like long questions, long responses, so I'm going to give a summary of Anna Roines' uh, questions. Questions and then Moriarty's responses just for brevity of our audio medium. The first question is about uh, transitioning from, you know, work as a freelance copywriter to uh, pursuing life as an author. Moriarty says, I have a marketing degree and I had a career in marketing and advertising before I did my master's at Macquarie University and wrote my first novel, Three Wishes. I'm always very open about the fact that if it wasn't for the burst of sibling rivalry I felt when I heard the news about my sister's first novel being published, the young adult writer Jack Moriarty, which I already said, I probably never would have got around to writing my own first novel. So
0: (laughs) Revenge bestseller.
1: Revenge. Yeah. The um, interviewer also mentions that at one point Moriarty had three bestsellers on the New York Times list simultaneously. Um, so <laughs> take that, nice. sis. Take that, Jacqueline. <laughs> Though I will say Jacqueline's Wikipedia page is bigger. (laughs) Take that for what you will. The interviewer then asks about her her writing habits, specifically if she likes to write in her same settings. Moriarty responds, I write from my home office. I'd love to be able to say that I wrote in a beautiful cafe by the beach, but unfortunately I've become too distracting with people watching and ordering more coffee. I need to be at my computer at home with the door closed and the internet switched off. Ideally, I'd be locked in my office, so I couldn't keep pretending I needed another cup of tea.
0: I think she has a problem (laughs) with hot beverages.
1: You know that making or getting a hot beverage is a replacement for work. That's what we all know. <laughs> don't pretend that we all don't do the same thing. She talks a little bit about her writing process, which clearly the author Link interviewer was familiar with, which is that she sort of writes without an end in mind for her first draft, just kind of plows forward. So she talks about that process and, and responds specifically about a question about red herrings. You obviously can't put in red herrings in your first draft if you don't know the ending. However, it's very easy to go back and include them once you finally worked out the plot. I enjoy writing that way because it adds an element of excitement to my writing however i admit it's also frightening because i don't know if i'm going to back myself into a corner from which i can't
3: escape Mm -hmm. i don't
0: know i feel like the red herring in this book is so obvious that like you wouldn't (laughs) you would have to know that going in but okay
3: yeah i didn't i didn't believe the red herring in this one but that's you know
1: but Anna Ruin's then follows up saying, what was the hardest thing about writing the husband's secret and what was the easiest? Moriarty says, the hardest thing was working out the ending. I gave my characters all these terrible dilemmas and then I had to find a way out for them. The easiest part was once I did work out the end, which was probably when I was about two thirds of the way through. I remember the exact intersection where I worked it out as I drove home one day. Nice. And then a final question. She asks uh, how her, she thinks her work has evolved since her her first novel. And Moriarty says, I think my writing has grown up as I've grown up. I wish I knew back then how much time I had available to me before I had children so that I didn't squander it. But I think every parent says that. Oh, no. And that is uh, an interview with Leanne Moriarty.
0: Awesome. Good
1: facts. Cool. Two star central, as it turns out.
0: Yeah. So... That is The Husband's Secret by Leanne Moriarty, stars two to four, but because I am the one who matters now, two stars. <laughs> I
2: said three. I said three. You said
3: three to four.
2: I said three. I said it was going to be between three and four, and I gave it three because of the epilogue.
3: Popcorn, Dylan? screw you. <laughs> he, did, he did say uh, that. All well, right.
0: okay. now it's time to popcorn to Dylan, because Dylan is our game master this week. Dylan, do you have what? a game for us?
2: I do. It's called a game called To Be Played in the Event of My Death. (laughs) good title. It's a good title for a trivia game. Whee! (laughs) I have nine questions here about famous people who had weird secrets come out after they died. And Mm -hmm. you're going to have to guess which one is the right. You'll also have the opportunity to double or nothing if you can tell me if they died or didn't die in a state that's on the Appalachian Trail.
3: And Toby... <laughs> wow. You obviously okay. know all the states yeah. on
2: the Appalachian Trail, right?
3: Nope.
0: <laughs> Toby, hint, the Appalachian Trail is all of the East Coast.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> all right, I think I understand.
2: <laughs> I'm giving you each, each a question, but do you double or nothing it?
1: Oh, yep. okay, so it's or nothing, and that's important.
2: Toby. Yes. You know Charles Lindbergh. He was the most famous aviator and, well, person in the world. But he had to have Mm -hmm. a lot of frequent fire miles because after he died, it was revealed that he had a bunch of secret families all over Europe. How many secret families did he have? Two, three, four. Or four. Whoa.
3: I'm gonna swing for the fences, just like Babe Ruth did in the same summer where he broke the home run record and the Lindbergh baby was stolen. Four.
2: Ooh, sorry, that's ridiculous. He had three.
1: <laughs> only one. It, wait, but uh, in Toby's defense, that means he had four families. <laughs> that is true. when
3: I asked specifically secret families. I was thinking that in the back of my mind as well. I know I, I'm not eligible to double or nothing, but I bet he did die on the East Coast somewhere.
2: He died on the opposite of it. He died in Hawaii. Oh, <laughs> that a is fool. the
3: notorious
1: opposite. Okay. All right, I, I'll go next, but I'm scared. I, I sort of thought the questions would be easier.
2: Ten years after Isaac Asimov's death in 1992, his wife revealed in a book of letters that the myocardial and renal complications that contributed to his death was actually not true. And his death was caused by what? Drug abuse, HIV, or doctors didn't know.
1: Uh, I believe it's drug abuse. What? It was HIV.
2: He received a blood transfusion. And it's actually really sad because he did want to tell people, but his doctors um, insisted on keeping it a secret.
0: Aww.
1: And I did the facts on this man and didn't realize that. I'll say double nothing for my nothing. I believe he died in New York. So uh, yes. that's the Appalachian Trail.
2: That does count as the Appalachian <laughs> Trail.
1: And now after we say this, I remember researching this. I am so I think I remember foolish. you saying that. Yeah, Yeah. well, you know.
0: I don't remember. Popcorn me. Bailey. Yes?
2: Sally Ride was revealed to be the first gay astronaut in space and actually had a 22-year relationship with Tam O'Shaughnessy. But when she did go on her mission in 1983, no one suspected a thing. Why? Because NASA kept it under wraps by limiting press, she was married to another male astronaut, or she claimed to be too focused on her career for any romance.
0: I'm going to say she was married to another male astronaut.
2: That is correct. She was married to astronaut Ooh. Stephen Hawley from 1982
0: to
3: 1985.
0: Ooh. Nice. I don't, I don't want to double or nothing, but I don't think she died on the Appalachian Trail.
2: Well, then I will never tell you what it, where she died. She died in La Jolla, California. Yeah. So that means Bailey is in the lead with one point on the board. Toby. After singer George Michael's death, it was revealed that he was actually an anonymous donor to multiple charities, including setting up the Platinum Grant, uh, serving in multiple homeless shelters, and donating all the proceeds from what song to the Chala Foundation? Mm-hmm. Jesus to a Child, Faith, Freedom, 90.
3: Uh, I'm going to say Faith. Uh,
2: it's Jesus to a Child. Aww. Okay. Adobe, doing double nothing on your nothing?
3: Sure. Uh, I bet he did die on the Appalachian Trail.
2: That is correct. He died hiking the Appalachian Trail. Wait. No, he he died in the U.K.
3: Oh. Oh. I, I was joking. I was joking.
2: Andrew, Billy Tipton, yeah. the American jazz musician, uh, became famous in the '50s with the Billy Tipton Trio, and he was offered to actually be Liberace's opening band, and was offered one of the first casino residencies, but turned down both offers. Later, it was revealed that Billy Tipton had a huge secret, which was Billy was blind, but was too ashamed to admit it publicly. Billy Tipton was born a woman. There was no Billy Tipton, but instead was a persona used by a group of session jazz players.
3: Those are some wild options.
1: I think it's that he was blind.
2: It was that Billy Tipton was born a woman. Billy Tipton oh. was actually no. trans, but was married five mm. times before he died. Oh.
1: It would help if I'd ever heard of Billy Tipton before, but that's on yeah.
2: me. <laughs> you guys- Stretching
1: the definition of celebrity here. I should have said
2: Billy Tipton was a rock and tour.
1: I'm sorry, I didn't realize right. I'm going to say did not die on the Appalachian Trail, though.
2: No, died in Tacoma, Washington. Aha. Uh-huh.
1: Mm. Uh-huh.
2: Mm. Benjamin Franklin was a prolific writer who didn't just use his name, he used other people's names when covering different topics. The most famous is he wrote under Richard Saunders when writing about agriculture, and that's for Richard Almanac. Mm-hmm. And after he died, a bunch of people were revealed to be him. Which one of these columnists was not him. Polly Baker used to argue for women's rights, Silence Do Good to critique hypocrisy and hoop skirts, or Frederick Common to critique Benjamin Franklin's writing.
0: I'm still gonna go with the first one and I'm gonna double or nothing. I think you'd think that he died in the Appalachian Trail cause that was all that was around in terms of white yeah. males at the time in the US. But I think he died in Paris. So, I'm going to say no, mm. not on the Appalachian Trail.
1: You were wrong on both. Oh. Silence Do Good, never forget National Treasure. It's an important part of the plot of that movie. <laughs> That's definitely him. He died yeah. in
0: Philadelphia. And mm-hmm.
2: Silence Do Good, Bailey, he literally called the guy Silence Do Good, and it was to critique hypocrisy and about hoop skirts. Okay.
3: Now, am I going to get a titan of American history or an unknown jazz musician? Let's go. Or, (laughs) Toby, besides being revealed to be an amazing basketball player and
2: a great waffle maker and also anonymous, extremely charitable benefactor, the highly secretive Prince was revealed to be in talks for a media project when he died. Was it a biopic produced by Will Smith, a Netflix reality show, or a sequel to Purple Rain?
3: Hmm. i'm gonna say biopic
2: it is a netflix reality show apparently oh, he was about to start on. letting camera the... crews record his life and he died in paisley park in minnesota of course he did
3: all right guys
1: i'm setting my intention i'm gonna get this right and i'm gonna double it
2: on the morning of his death truman capote gave a key to his friend joanne carson which he claimed led to a safe deposit box that held the final chapter for his last book the unanswered prayers these chapters of the final book have never been revealed though why it was reportedly pointed out the affair of her husband johnny carson it reveals that he and harper lee wrote in cold blood and to kill mockingbird together or the pages were never found because he didn't tell her what bank or where the deposit box was
1: i really hope it's number three Mm -hmm.
2: and they're going to double or nothing
1: i believe he died in new york so i'm going to double it and say he died on the Appalachian trail
2: he died in bel-air in los angeles Oh, you are correct
1: Oh no! Oh no! He didn't tell.
2: He gave her the key in a very dramatic fashion. It's like this box. This will lead you to a box that t- has the final pages of my novel, which they did release, but apparently was bad, and they it's because it wasn't finished and there were missing pages. But he didn't mm-hmm. tell her where the box was.
1: Ooh.
3: Fun, fun.
1: Well, Nothing like a deathbed prank. C- so, Dylan, can I can I congratulate you on creating a game that just breaks your heart and gives you hope at the same time? <laughs> I know,
2: Andrew, you're so close to getting it <laughs> right.
0: My turn, my turn. I want to win extra. Bailey Bailey
2: wins, but Bailey, do you want to play the last one? Yes. (laughs) With one point, Bailey wins, (laughs) but just to rub it into Andrew and Toby's face. Harry Houdini had a very complicated relationship with the afterlife, refusing to believe in spiritualists or psychics. However, he did give them a chance by telling his wife that he would send her a secret word beyond the grave. Ten years later, the wife revealed that no one had figured out the code, so she told the public what the word was that Harry Houdini was to tell her uh, to prove that he was talking to her. Was the word Rosabelle, Poppycock, or Wondershine?
0: Rosabelle.
2: And do you want to double or nothing?
0: Uh, I think he died in California.
2: You would have gotten two points. He died in Detroit, which is not on the Appalachian Trail, and it was Rosabelle. Wow. It was a nickname he had for his wife that only he knew, and it was in carved in her ring.
0: So I got three points
1: total.
2: Boom, boom. Bailey boom, boom. rushing it.
0: Well
1: done, Bailey. Yeah, really well done. I feel awful about myself, but, you know, I <laughs> yeah, have too. to pay penance for what I've done to you guys with the games in the past. I mm-hmm. think that
0: was a great game, Dylan. It was really good. <laughs> it really showed how smart you could be. So thank you. Good game.
3: Good game, Dylan. That was fun.
2: The winner for most gracious <laughs> gracious participant goes to Bailey. Yes.
1: What? No. no. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I'm, I'm more gracious than those punks. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it.
0: Now, Dylan, a popcorn again. You know, another popcorn to you, because it's time for you to pick books at random from our shelf to read next. It's time for The choosing,
2: The
1: choosing, oh, The Choosening. The Choosening 2.0.
2: Okay,
0: pop, guys. Pop.
1: I, just, I just leveled this up, guys.
2: Well, Toby, and all of you, I'm noticing that what? there's a lot of new faces here tonight. A lot of new wizards, which is bad, <laughs> because that means you're breaking the first rule of Wizard Club. Oh, no. Which is, don't talk about Wizard Club, because... Number 43, Wizard's First Rule from the Sword of Truth series by Terry Goodkind.
3: This is, he's a very famous author of like, I'd say the 90s mostly. I'm a little bit trepidatious about this one because I think his star has fallen recently. But we'll check it out. Wizard's First Rule. It's got a wild name, Sword of Truth. What's that? I'll find out for you. You really you're really slamming into some like weird like a very weird
1: niche yeah. of fantasy in the last like few I, months of
3: this <laughs> podcast and your and your personal reading. I've got to get out of the 90s. I just don't want to be there anymore.
0: What about my <laughs> book? What about my book?
2: Well, Belly, after your next book, you're going to be a star, but a very true-to-life star because you have number 58 True Biz. That's True Biz, baby, by Sarah Novick.
1: <laughs> what? I
0: I don't think it's about that at all. My understanding is it's a coming-of-age book. It kind of came out a few years ago about deaf teens, like at a deaf school. Um, I should probably look at
2: what these books are about before I have to make up a thing about it, but I don't.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm psyched. This book... You know, I keep hearing great things about it. I always like reading books from different perspectives. I want to hear about what it's like to be a deaf teen. Why not? Cool. All yeah. right. So that means in two weeks on the podcast, I will be reading True Biz by Sarah Novick, and Andrew is reading The Waves by Virginia Woolf.
1: Wolfpack, four Splash, splash.
0: Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List podcast.
1: And if you're tired of holding on to a a deep dark secret that you think you take to your grave and you just want to reveal it which is what you would rate this podcast and a few words of reviewing it please take a moment to unburden yourself of that secret and rate and review us at your
3: podcatcher of choice in particular apple podcast it helps grow our reach and if you have a friend who you hiked across europe with who you hate Reach out to them and tell them about our podcast. Um, you know, word of mouth word of mouth is our best uh, advertisement, especially for people who hate each other because of hiking related incidents. <laughs>
0: uh, thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books. books.